Have you or a loved one been personally victimized by a mother with no boundaries? You're not alone. Call the law offices of CA and Jamie today to see if you are eligible for emotional compensation. Um, We don't actually have that, but we do have a new workshop out for you guys. Check the show notes for the link. This is Unlearned, a self-rising production. I'm Jamie. And I'm CA. And we are your hosts. This is a podcast all about deconstructing who we are and exploring who we are becoming. Yay, we're back. We got this. <sighs> we got this, guys. Buckle up. Buckle up. Y'all this one's going to be up. intense. <laughs> it's it's a it's a doozy. This is a literal doozy, guys. This might be we were talking about this off air like this might be the most nuanced topic we have dived into thus far. <sighs> Dove into? I'm not ready. Dove. I'm not ready. It's fine. All right. (laughs) We are going to do our best to bring some clarity to this topic, and we are exploring it together and alongside with you guys, and we love your feedback, and this actually was a suggested topic. So, Jamie, I'm going to let you start us off here. This was listener suggested, so here we go. So. So we did our episode on boundaries. It was episode 22. Which was episode 22. And that was basically like boundary basics. So if you want to start there, go ahead. You can pause this. Go back and listen. Um, Is it going to be required to hear this one? Probably not. But it will give you some better context. We are trying to untangle the complexities of boundaries and ultimatums. So that's actually probably going to be even the title like boundaries and ultimatums, because I think we were initially going to do boundaries versus ultimatums. (laughs) And it took us a while to do the like prep for this episode. And we eventually came to the conclusion that this episode is going to be about boundaries and ultimatums. So if you think about boundaries, right? When we think about boundaries, many times we're talking about a relationship that you have with yourself. Like this is a standard that you have with yourself and you're setting it and you're explaining it to the external. So something like, I don't drink. I don't do X, Y, Z. Like whatever you're telling someone where you end and the outside world begins, right? You're putting a, like a line in the sand for everyone to understand. So we have boundaries, right? And when we interact with people, we're going to have specific things that we're like, oh yeah, that's something I'm, you know, that's what I'm into. That's not what I'm into. You kind of explain all of those nuances to people, right? Except it gets really complicated when you start interacting with people that have big, big differences in your life, right? So they parent differently than you. They believe different things than you. You have different sexualities. You have different, you know, political views. There's a lot of differences in this world. And so when you start trying to understand how you're showing up to this world with your boundaries, it can be incredibly dissonant when you run into people that have completely different worldviews than you currently hold. Especially when you're healing, this is like where it gets complicated with relationships and emotional skill sets, like things that you're trying to hold lines emotionally, like, hey, I 
I don't swear when I'm in conflict with people, right? You're explaining that's a line that I put up for myself and, you know, I'm inviting you to respect that, you know, whatever. So when we get to boundaries and ultimatums, we need to start understanding this probably through an example. And I know CA, we talked about a couple examples, so we'll probably go into that in a second, but let me just touch on ultimatums for a second. When you hear the word ultimatum and me and CA fell into this trap for a little bit, especially because many, like many of our listeners came from trauma places and we both came from trauma places. You hear the word ultimatum and your immediate response might be, ugh, bad, like, yikes. That's, that's icky. That's something that someone who is really harmful does. That is a manipulation tactic. That is coercion. That is harmful, right? The reason why this is such a nuanced episode is we're actually going to speak about ultimatums in a very new way that might be like totally coming from left field for, for many people, for many of our listeners. If we are talking about laying boundaries in a healthy way, when you lay a boundary, not everyone is going to respect it. Some people might just immediately see that as a challenge and then try to break the boundary. So if we're talking about a boundary that's continually being broken, continually being violated, this is where an ultimatum and we can kind of use this a little bit interchangeably, like a consequence of the boundary being broken comes in. And that looks like if you continue to break my boundary, then insert the consequence. What does that sound like? Sounds like an ultimatum. So when we're going to break this down, we're really talking about Where are you coming from when you lay these things? What place, what intention do you have when you are placing the boundary and then the follow-up consequence that in many cases, especially in very, very, very like harmful systems, like certain family systems can, this can come into play. You may have to put a very hard line in the sand And that is going to be a hard ultimatum. So let's go into an example. What, where do we want to go with this CA? Like what example do you want to use? Okay. Um, so you're hosting a birthday party for your seven-year-old. Okay. It's a seven-year-old's birthday party. It's frozen themed, you know, there's a bounce house out back. There's going to be cake. There's going to be presents, all the good stuff. Um, in sending out your invitations to friends and extended family, um, you make it known that because this is a child's birthday party in the middle of the day, there's not going to be any drinking. This hopefully is something that most people can see as a reasonable boundary and a request. We don't need to be getting drunk at 2 p.m. at a child's birthday party. Well, then what happens when... Uncle Tom shows up and he's already two sheets to the wind. 
what do you do as the parent and the person hosting the party? The reason I want to use this example is because it touches very specifically right away on one of the key criticisms that people get a lot when we try to teach boundaries and and they go, well, you said that boundaries are all about just you as the person setting the boundary, but what what happens when it actually does involve like literally another person's physical body? Like you can say all day long that the boundary has to do with you, but when push comes to shove, sometimes it actually does involve another person's physical body that you somehow or another have to quote unquote control in order to enforce the boundary, right? So he walks in, uncle walks in the front door, two sheets to the wind. Now he's in your house, clearly violating the boundary that you set that this was a non-drinking party and he's carrying a six pack in with him. You have to somehow or another actually get him to leave out of the house, right? Which means that this does involve you actually like enforcing what we would see as an ultimatum. And that is how we drew the conclusion that, you know, like this is very nuanced and we we are not posturing this episode as boundaries are good. Ultimatums are bad. Not at all. Um, You set the boundary, the boundary was violated and now you have to enforce what sounds like an ultimatum really is just a consequence, which is you cannot stay here because you violated the boundary. It just is that simple. Right. So an ultimatum is when you have consistently laid a boundary and that boundary has been consistently violated and consistently broken. And at that point, there has to be some kind of firm line to place in front of someone to say, this is the end. This is the end. There is no more tolerance of this boundary being broken. This is the end. So, so what's going to be difficult is that. when that person pushes the back. Perception. Let's go. The perception. Let's go to the perception. Then, <laughs> then this is what's tricky in these situations is what we want to get into is that person pushing back and saying, well, now you're putting you're controlling me and you're getting in the way of my boundary. This is my party too. And this is how I party. I party with a six pack in my hand and that's just the way it is. And that's how I like to party. Stop trying to control me. Right. That's what they're going to say. In which case you respond. I'm not actually trying to control how you party and celebrate in your life and your spare time. What I'm trying to do is create an environment here in my house for my child and this particular party. You want to have that type of party? I will not stop you. Go and have that type of party. But that's not what this type of party is. So this speaks to the me and CA broke this down. And me and we wanted to really come up with some like anchor points for you to try to ask yourself, what is my... What is my intention around laying this boundary and then possibly getting to the point of laying an ultimatum? What are the anchor points that can stabilize me that says I am not aiming to control and manipulate every little person in this party? We we were able to distill it down to a couple of points. First point is safety. <laughs> safety. 
we're gonna bring up another complex <laughs> example here, but stay with me, okay? Safety, safety, which includes, please hear me when I say this, it includes emotional safety. It includes emotional safety. So if someone keeps coming at my party and they're not like drunk, but they mock my seven-year-old and they make fun of my seven-year-old and they make jokes around their friends and make my seven-year-old feel very unsafe. And it gets to the point of bullying. That's safety. I'm allowed to create safety parameters around myself and safety parameters around my family and those I, I am to protect, right? So safety, whew, big doozy. And that's why I brought up it's emotional. And of course it's physical safety, right? Like we got to keep people physically safe. And then we have the other anchor point, which is, am I acknowledging that the person that I'm interacting with has autonomy? Can I at least acknowledge that? Can I at least acknowledge that this person has, I guess, the right to wake up and drink and drink where they want to, to some degree of safety? I get, I get it. We're not going to let them drive home drunk. Okay. But if they want to wake up and they want to drink and their buddy drives them over to the party or whatever, they had all of the autonomy to be able to do that. So when CA was pointing out, she's talking to Uncle Tom and saying, you are allowed to party whatever way you want. You were even allowed to drink wherever you want. As long as you're not driving and making sure other people are unsafe, you are allowed to do these things. We are telling you, in order to keep this environment safe, we are asking you to honor that this isn't something we want to be present at this party. So notice you are trying to highlight that that person actually continues to have autonomy over the action they are trying to continue to do. So if they're trying to continue to drink, you can acknowledge you are in every sense of the world, word allowed to keep drinking, just not in my home. Okay, and do we want to bring the other extreme example of safety. I think we can. Yeah, to- I'll take it. So going off of that, so we're going to use the same analogy. It's it's a it's a birthday party. This is this is going to be another hinging on safety. Um I live in the south and so this actually is like a somewhat common occurrence. And I'm not even in like the deep deep south, but even where I am like you will see people walking around open carrying a firearm on their hip. It's fairly common where I live. So say I'm hosting that child's birthday party again, and Uncle Steve this time shows up and he has a firearm attached to his holster and he walks into my birthday party and there's kids running around. That makes me feel in that moment incredibly unsafe. And I don't think it's safe for the children that are present at this party for there to be a weapon just literally right there on somebody's hip. So I'm going to pull Uncle Steve aside and let him know that. And I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to need you to go take the firearm, put it in your car, please lock the car. Or if you have like a safety box in your car, make sure it's locked. You know, I, I just that's not safe for there to be an open firearm 
here with the children's party going on. Here's what's going to be difficult is one would hope that he was a reasonable person and say, oh, my gosh, I actually forgot it was on my hip. Let me go do that. Absolutely. But some people might push back and say something along the lines of, well, I feel unsafe without my firearm on my person at all times. What if somebody comes into this party and is trying to hurt these children? I would be the one to protect them. I don't feel safe not having my firearm on me. So you asking me to take it off of my hip violates my sense of personal safety. Now what? My boundary over my boundary over my parameters for safety. Yes. Yes. My boundaries there. So me as the host of the party, um, I'm going to, because this is a boundary that does have to do with safety and I am a person that honors autonomy, I'm not going to ask Uncle Steve to violate his own safety. I would never do that. But I also need to honor what makes me feel safe and the children that I am in charge of keeping themselves safe around me. So that's what I'm going to say to Uncle Steve. I'm going to say I completely respect that this is something that's really like a high value system for you. And I hear that you feel unsafe without your firearm. And I can understand from your perspective why you feel that way. We are unfortunately now at an impasse because there's no way for me to feel safe with your firearm here. And there's no way for you to feel safe without it. So, you know, best I can do is say, let's uh, FaceTime later. But I am going to have to ask you to probably exit the house because I don't want you to feel unsafe. And I'm not going to be able to feel safe with your gun still on your person. So can we make a compromise and, you know, you leave the party and then we'll try to FaceTime later. And maybe we can talk about this again at some point in the future. Right. And I think what you made it, this is the, this is one of the distill points that we came for you guys. Like we came up for you guys because who like one of the things that some of this comes down to is we could come up with like a bunch of scenarios where it's leaning one way or the other politically or whatever. But like in reality, if we're talking about things that are perceptions of safety or perceptions of let's say value systems, like religious beliefs or political beliefs, what sometimes happens is they're having the exact same perception on the other side that you are currently holding. So when you say something like, I, this is why that gun example is so perfect because you truly are as much as possible trying to respect that man in front of you and you are trying to honor your relationship you have with that presence of the gun, right? So you're saying, I am trying to honor that. And the person hears that and goes, I am trying to honor that in a completely different way, right? And so why this becomes tricky is if someone sees CA's follow through as like, hey, um, you know, I actually wrote on the invitation, let's say you're really deep south and it's that common. You say like, we're not doing alcohol, we're not doing any possession, like no holster, like whatever, like all that. If you are like, hey, I actually wrote that in there because this has become a problem in the past. So I wanted you to, I, I'm not sure if you saw that. Um, and then maybe they really didn't. Maybe they wear it so often that they didn't and they didn't think about it, right? And then that conversation happens. If if that Uncle Tom sees, what was it, Uncle Steve? <laughs> <So> <laughs> Who two is it, Uncle? Uncle 
too many ad calls. Yeah. If Uncle Steve, where, where, who, who is it? Um, Uncle if uncle steve says to to ca well this kind of feels like manipulative ca like i love my nephew and i want to be here at the party like i feel like you're like using some kind of political agenda to like punish me okay this is what me and C were trying to like get to because we literally prepped for a while on this episode because it's so labor intensive is that there are going to be some of these moments where someone's going to walk away from you holding that firm line and they're going to misunderstand that. I need you to, we've talked about this in previous episodes. The power to be misunderstood is actually, at least in my conceptualization of healing, a huge pivot point for people. When they can walk away from a situation knowing that Uncle Steve thinks you just used your political view on gun ownership against him to punish him and to punish his nephew to not hang out with his uncle. Right? Or sorry, your son or what you guys know what I'm saying. <laughs> Y'all following. Okay. So think about that. If he walks away saying, Wow, she's that committed to her political like agenda that she's gonna punish me. She's unwell. Like she's not she's she's so she's so radical. Like she's she's just she's losing it. She's losing touch with what really matters. Right. And it's like, wow, like the amount of narrative that that person can come out of that ultimatum or that line or that follow through of the boundary, the consequence, that narrative that they can walk away with, first of all, many times is very heartbreaking. Right. Because it's not as though you saw Uncle Steve as this like monster. You were saying, I need you to honor that there are going to be some lines and limitations of the way you interact with me. I need you to understand that there are, those are things that are going to occur. We are not always going to agree on anything. We are not always going to share political values. We are not always going to share religious values. We're going to have differences and we can either learn to compromise with those differences or honor each other's autonomy. And those are going to have to look like some hard lines for both of us. Mm -hmm. For both of us. Well, and I think what really helps to keep you anchored in those moments when somebody starts pushing back and trying to spin narratives and control narratives around your boundary work that you're doing for you, right? If somebody's saying, you're doing this because of thou, you're just doing this to control me, or you're just doing this to punish me. What keeps you anchored in those moments are those points that we were talking about before. Knowing really deeply inside of you why you are asking for these particular boundaries or ultimatums if it has come down to that point. If you are feeling really anchored and certain in those things, that is what allows you to withstand all of that pushback. I always view it as like waves crashing on a rock. If you make yourself rooted and strong enough in why it is you're doing what you're doing, all those waves can crash and you can understand them for what they are. Like that person's allowed to have their own emotional reactions. You don't really have to control that or fix that or change that. That's on them to deal with their thoughts and emotions about whatever they think 
or feel about your boundary, but you're just going to keep standing there firm in it because you know, no matter what they say about it or think about it, you know why you're doing it. You're doing it because of safety. You're doing it still respecting the autonomy of everybody involved. And you're not doing it to control, manipulate, punish, whatever words they want to try to throw at you. When you know that about yourself, it becomes a little bit easier. I don't want to say, oh, it's so easy because it's not, it can be hurtful. You're like, man, like they really think I'm capable of like being manipulative or punishing. Like that stinks that they would think that about me. Like I know that it can be hurtful to hear those types of accusations. So I'm not going to pretend that it's like easy but at least it becomes tolerable. You are able to tolerate the kind of like blowback that happens because at the end of the day, you know who you are inside and you know why you're asking the things that you're asking to protect the psychological, emotional, physical safety of yourself and those that you're responsible for. I do think we need to go into a little of this treacherous water that is... When someone that is leaning to the like narcissistic, covert narcissistic side of things and how they utilize this exact same strategy. Like this is treacherous water. I know I'm just warning everybody because this is going to sound so similar. (laughs) But I feel like I've even touched on this before. When you talk about one concept, one concept, right? Where one person's a healthy individual and the other person is like incredibly manipulative or harmful, you can have the exact same concepts with two different intentions and then one person's weaponizing it and the other person's using it as like a healthy line in the sand, right? So we kind of need to come up with some examples. But like, if you think about if, if we're coming from a place of like, I perceive boundaries as a way to create power power and control over you right so this is sometimes insidious sometimes it's more overt uh but what i would point out is if you think about interacting with someone that is saying that they have boundaries or they are laying ultimatums for a good reason i i need you to pay attention to power and control dynamics I need you to pay attention to, is this for safety? Is this respecting the autonomy of me? Are they acknowledging my autonomy? Are they ignoring my autonomy? Right? So we almost have to come up with an example for you guys to help you understand this because this is this is probably one of the most tricky points that comes from this dialogue. So an example would be, a family dinner type situation from, you know, a family that traditionally is like super religious in a particular religion, doesn't even matter which one. But so the, the matriarch or the patriarch of the family leads the family in a particular type of prayer, according to their religion, every Sunday before family dinner, you as an adult have sort of gone on your own journey and you're no longer practicing that religion. So you take your mom aside and you let her know, hey, mom, you know, just letting you know, like at family dinners, 
from now on because I'm not really practicing the religion anymore. I'm not really going to be like actively participating in that prayer moment. Um, I will still stand there respectfully. I'm not going to, you know, like leave. I'm not going to stop coming to dinners. Like I still love you guys and want to be part of the family. I just won't participate in that particular moment. So this is where she is going to come at you using language that sounds very much like healthy boundary type language and try to control your behavior according to her will. And this is where this happens a lot in families and this is where it gets really tricky. So she's going to say, in this house, we pray before family meal. And you know that. You know that's what we do in this house, in this family. So if you want to be part of this family dinner, then you have to pray. Well, mom, why can't I just stand there? Like, I'll even bow my head and close my eyes. Like, I'm just not going to, like, use my mouth to say words that I no longer believe in. Why can't you just mimic it? Just go along with it. Stop drawing attention to yourself. Why do you have to make a big deal out of this? Mom, I'm not making a big deal out of it, actually. Nobody's even going to notice or care. I'm literally just going to stand there. Well, no, I'm not okay with that. If you can't pray in my house at my dinner table, then you, then I guess you don't want to participate in the family dinner because that's what we do. Okay, this is where we're going to now take a step back and analyze the situation. So it might It's sound- the same thing, CA. <laughs> it's the same thing, CA, right? It's just, like, it's I just be her boundary, thing. right? It's just her boundary. She's just putting up a boundary. It's her house, right? Why shouldn't she be able to have house rules? So this is this is a really tricky one. And I got stuck in this loop for quite a while, actually, as we were prepping for this <laughs> for this episode. But what you have to come back to is what were those like anchor points that we talked about at the beginning? Usually boundaries have to do with safety, right? Am I making anybody unsafe by standing there quietly with my eyes closed? Who is unsafe? Whose emotional, psychological, or physical safety is in any way being endangered by me just standing there? I I struggle to answer that. I don't think I'm endangering can I, anybody. Can I pause you? Sure. Can I pause you? Sure. If it's about ego, you're embarrassing me. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I mean, no, and that is that is often what you'll get, right? Because that's, well, we're going to get to that one in a second, actually. That's that's point I know, number three. I just three. wanted to, like, add that. That's point number right. three. So point number two is the respect of autonomy of all individuals involved, right? I'm not stopping my mom or anybody else at the table from saying their prayers. It's not like just because I've deconstructed, now I'm forcing everybody else to stop praying. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying, well, no, I just myself, I'm not going to participate in that particular moment. And then the third thing has to do with what you were just talking about, right? Which is the narrative. If mom is trying to control the narrative and put her spin on why she thinks I am omitting myself from that moment, Well, first of all, she's disregarding my autonomy. But secondly, that's also how you know that there's something a little bit probably more insidious going on here. Because my intention is simply just to honor my own self and my own emotional boundaries. Like, I'm not comfortable doing this. I'm not doing it to punish her, embarrass her, draw a scene, anything like that. But if she's going to try to put that narrative on me, there's only so much I can do about that. And also it speaks volumes 
it speaks volumes to her perspective of why she uses boundary work. Usually we perceive boundaries through the lens of how we use them. And so if we are using them in an unhealthy, controlling, manipulative way, anybody else around us who is using them must be doing the same, right? Must be. Yes, exactly. So that point right there, CA, is really, really solid. We have to ask ourselves, what lens are they applying to the boundary that ultimately turns into a quote-unquote consequence, which if we are talking about why is there a link between ultimatums and that icky feeling, I would I would venture to say when we think about ultimatums, we're actually thinking about a consequence being weaponized against us. Literally, I'm holding that consequence over you in order to punish you or in order to curve your behavior to act more like I want you to, right? Which is why when we think of the word ultimatum, we think, ugh, that's not great, right? And this is where I'd make this assertion around this topic. If we think about if someone is laying an ultimatum down with the intention of manipulation, creating a puppet out of that person, trying to make sure that they jump when I say jump, trying to change them. Yeah, that's a problem. So this is where we're talking about the nuance. I can't sit here and say ultimatums flat out are like totally chill, right? Because there are going to be some people that use this strategy to hurt people. (laughs) And Many of our listeners probably have endured this exact experience where they're like, no, I've had that happen to me so many times and it's so bad. I will never do that. I am not going to be like my mom. I am not going to be like my ex-partner. I am not going to act like them. So the second I say something that sounds like an ultimatum, my brain is going to go, don't become like that. Don't do that. Don't lay a line like that. They did that to you. And I go, they did that to you to control you. When we think about when we have to create follow through with our boundaries and it has to eventually be a line in the sand of a hard stop. And you realize that the only reason you are putting that there is to make sure that you remain psychologically, emotionally, physically safe. That is a big differential. That is huge huge that is very 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 different than how ultimatums were used against you for possibly years all right so what ca was talking about right at the end there is you can't force them to perceive boundaries or ultimatum in a healthy way ca touched on that if i only put a line down because eventually I want you to act exactly how I want you to act. Like the only reason I say you don't get to have like colored hair when we have a family birthday party is because I want to make sure everyone in my family never dyes their hair because I want to keep my like fingers entangled into like the control factor of my family. I want to control the aesthetic of my family. So what do I do? 
I make a hard stop that all the birthday parties are hosted at my house and there's seven of them throughout the year and nobody gets to have colored hair at the birthday parties, right? That looks like a boundary, but it's not because I'm not respecting people's autonomy and it has nothing to do with safety. No one's getting threatened. No one's getting like shaken to their core because someone comes up with purple hair, right? It is all about power and control. So if I was an emotionally harmful person, I see boundaries, quote unquote, because y'all can't see me right now. (laughs) I see boundaries as a way to create puppets in my life, to create little like minions that jump when when I say jump. And then if it comes down to it, I will lay those quote unquote ultimatums. I will say, Oh, Susie, you want to show up to Christmas with purple hair? You don't get to come next year. That sounds like an ultimatum, right? Except where are we coming from and who is the person saying this? And is that person doing it in a way that they are doing that to create power and control dynamics embedded in the structure that you're in, right? So why is this so hard? And I want to speak directly to the listeners about this. It is so hard to create a filtration system for how these things are getting laid out for you because there are there are people that will go all or nothing. That when you hear something like that, you get activated and you think, oh my gosh, they're doing what my mom did to me my whole life. But your partner genuinely might be like, hey, this is a line in the sand because I need you to respect me. Like I need you to respect that I have differentials here. So when your partner, after you were raised in a very harmful system, might start implementing boundaries It might activate you because the way quote unquote boundaries were thrown at you your whole life were dangerous. They were thwarting your autonomy. They were thwarting your authenticity. They were stifling your real connection to yourself. So yes, yes, you're going to be activated when your partner or your best friend says, hey, Hey, you don't get to treat me like this. This is actually a line. I'm not going to tolerate this. I'm actually not feeling good about this. And guess what that feels like? It mimics the similar ways that this mechanism was weaponized against you. So what are we talking about and why is this so nuanced? It is work to untangle. It is work to put people back into context. Because if I'm looking at my best friend and I know that at the core of her soul and her humanity is she is not trying to stifle my authenticity. She is not trying to rob me of autonomy. But she says, Jamie, when we have a conversation, I need you to pay attention to X, Y, Z. It is not her attempting to create me as her puppet. She is not trying to get me to jump when she says jump. She is trying to say, in order for us to have a healthy relationship, I kind of need to feel safe in a conversation. So when you like go off and and trauma vomit on me, it kind of scares me. So I need you, like, I need you to pay attention to that. And I need to tell, like, there are going to be times where I, I might even say, Hey, Jamie, this is a little intense for me. I have to walk back. Right. That's her own personal boundary. Think about how these are linked 
and how untangling this is going to take time. It's going to take moments of introspection. You're going to have to think about what's going on inside of you, but you're also going to have to take a step back and think of the expanded picture, right? When CA said in previous episodes, when in doubt, zoom out, zoom out. Let me look at CA's boundary lane in context. My complex trauma might be like, (gasps) she's weaponizing this. Oh my gosh, I'm so scared, right? Or if I zoom out and I go, oh, wait, CA is the safest person in my life. In order to have a healthy relationship, we both must have personal boundaries. We don't want to become codependent on each other. We don't want to become entangled. We don't want to become enmeshed. We are allowed to have personal boundaries. And I think one of the um, strongest ways to practice this is to pay attention to yourself when you are laying boundaries as well. Because again, as we kind of talked about with the perception thing, the the better you get at practicing personal boundaries and and checking in with that self, okay, this is about my safety. I'm still respecting the autonomy. I'm not trying to control people. This really is, you know, from from a place of honoring myself and self-love and still respecting that this is an individual that I'm speaking to. You'll get familiar with how that feels inside of you, and that actually does help anchor you in those conversations when you're on the receiving end of it and somebody else is laying what is actually a healthy boundary, not a manipulative one, and you'll hopefully be able to like in that zoom out process be able to tap in, oh, this really does follow that exact pattern of the way that I set boundaries as well. I can tell that this person respects me as an individual. I can tell they're not trying to stifle me. This is safe. I'm safe. And you really do have to like give yourself those like moments when, when your trauma gets activated, especially if boundaries and ultimatums have been weaponized against you in the past. That is not something to take lightly. Your system will get activated. So you do have to kind of do that like breath work that zoom out and tell yourself, that this is okay, that this is safe. Now in those situations when it's not (laughs) safe, when you can actually determine, oh no, this person is absolutely trying to control my personal autonomy and they are trying to puppeteer me, that's when you have to understand how to put your own hard lines in the sand about what you're willing to tolerate from that person. Sure. That that point right there was where we're probably going to leave you guys with, which is Make sure you have a standard. Make sure you have a standard of interaction. So, for example, if I don't care how high people ask me to jump, every time someone asks me to jump, I'll jump. If I don't pay attention to how tired I am, I'm going to jump. If I don't pay attention to where I'm at, I'm going to jump, regardless if it's unsafe for me, right? If I'm jumping over rocks, I don't care. I will jump regardless, right? Trauma brains have high thresholds talked about this before, right? So it is about asking that question. Someone could ask me to jump really, really high. Jump when I say jump, right? And you might be so like, okay, fine. That's good. I'll do it because you asked me to, right? What What's missing in a lot of people's like recovery when they first start off is what if what if it's not safe for me to jump? but they asked me to jump. 
and you're allowed to not jump, <laughs> right? Like you're allowed to not jump into the rocks. You're allowed to not get exhausted and jump repetitively until you're tired and you can't do it anymore. Do you see, do you see how asking that question is important? And so that was what, that's what I would say is that when you start interacting and there are going to be people that are like, that is my boundary though. Like if you're in my house, you jump when I say jump. I'm sorry. Like that's my, (laughs) like, don't know what else to tell you other than like, that's how it is. That's how it flies in my house. Right. If you do not have that conversation with yourself that says, all right, well, I get that that's kind of like her, like MO, like we all have to jump when she says jump when we're in her house. Where am I jumping? Where's the line? Is this reasonable? Is this safe? Is this a pattern of, disrespecting my autonomy that that aspect of interaction does need to be sat with for sure sit with that for a little while because that is where you're going to be able to understand oh wow yeah I could put a line here I could say oh yeah well I understand that that's something you want us to do but I'm not willing to keep, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to go to that next party. I don't really feel comfortable like jumping when you ask me to jump every time. Like, I don't know if I feel comfortable. Like that's not really something I feel comfortable with. Right. All right. So that's where we're going to leave you. Cause this is nuanced enough. Um, like I said, these last few ones have been like listener requests and I'm telling y'all like, um, message us on Instagram. I, we do get your emails. Um, there have been a couple of awesome emails coming through recently about some cool conversations to have in the future. Um, this topic was so good and so important for us to touch on. So even if anyone has any follow-up or questions from this episode, we would love to hear them because there, this isn't even, I mean, we're touching the surface here. It's like, yeah, this it's is, a lot. This is a this heavy is one. A layered topic. So thank you for listening. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you so much, y'all, for tuning in. If anything we said resonated, please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. This absolutely helps us grow, and we really do value your voice on this podcast. So if you have anything you'd like to contribute, any tips, any topics, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at unlearned at recollectedself.com. You can find us on Instagram at the unlearned podcast or individual Instagrams at recollected self and CAs is at embracing divergence. You can also find us over on TikTok under those handles. If you want to join our Patreon for $5 a month, you can be our coffee fiend club member. And that's going to give you access to our podcast within a podcast, which is called unhinged. This is basically where we let loose completely unedited we are literally just shooting the breeze having fun you can see our full personalities and it is a blast honestly it's pretty fun so if you want to join us you can find that at patreon.com unlearned and that's it the last thing i want to tell you is i want you to be brave enough to fight for the person you want to become and this is how we do the work